Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Today we are discussing Nosferatu novel by Joe Hill. This book explores vampires, Christmas, and the loss of innocence of childhood in a way that'll leave you thinking about Christmas in a way that you never have before. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. All right, factions in Nosferatu. We have Charlie Manx and his vehicle, the Wraith. We have his minion, Billy. We have Vic, also known as the Brat. We have Lou Carmody. Vic's dad, Vic's mom, Vic and Lou's kid, Wayne, Detective Hutter, and various ancillary police people, the ghost slash Christmas land kids, and Maggie. For our first topic, we have the Christmas land kids and what is described as the removal of empathy, but as we are going to discuss is more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, they are not aware that they are incomplete, at least not in a way that reaches their surface thoughts. We get to see Wayne's thoughts when he is on his way to becoming one of them. Um, he gets told to do this thing to where he can think backwards in order to slow the transformation. He gets told that by his grandma's ghost. This is a weird book. <laughs> um, one thing is... I, Robin, read the entire book. Nicole wasn't able to make it through. We're going to talk about it anyway, because especially since we're talking about books that burn you (laughs) and are traumatic and hard to get through, I think our rule is that if one of us can finish it, we are going to talk about it. Yeah. And this time that was me. Yep. Uh, I'm going to be asking a lot more questions and I will be making observations. All right. So, Christmas Land Children. Yes. Oh, man. They, it, it gets described as a lack of empathy. It is towards the end of the book, Maggie compares it to, so the empathy has been pulled out of them because that's what fuels makes his vehicle. He doesn't have any more empathy, so he makes kids ride with him and it pulls it out of them. Uh, 
it gets compared to normal kids pulling wings off flies because they don't know it's wrong. We have some hard pushback against that characterization. Yeah. Because the the fly thing and the closely related burning ants in an anthill with a, with a magnifying glass that I'm a little more familiar with as a trope, that is toxic masculinity in kids, especially little boys who are taught that everything around them is their plaything. Mm-hmm. Now, in a book where this man wants everyone to be like murderous children and is taking away people's empathy. I don't think it's an inappropriate comparison. I also don't think that the book is trying to be a statement on toxic masculinity or anything. No. I just... uh, This is actually one of those things, and, and I didn't get to the point in the book where it was explicitly stated, but the seeds of it were already in the part that I read. And I think this is one mm-hmm. of the things that made me just not able to finish this one because irregardless of author intent, the way it comes across in the text is as though lack of empathy is being equated with intentional cruelty. That's not yeah. how that works. And and also, also, it's very hard when – I don't think Robin has had this experience, but I have – it's also very hard when in real life, lack of empathy is equated as intentionally, la- lack of empathy is equated sometimes as being as as though you are being intentionally cruel. And that is a thing that is a, a charge that is leveled at people sometimes when they really are just being careless because they don't understand the effect on other people. Or sometimes if somebody knows that you don't empathize as much as you do sympathize or just work to understand like you don't just feel like empathy is feeling what other people feel and if you don't feel what other people feel even if you understand it even if you recognize it even if you can draw parallels to it even if you're very conscious and aware of it if you don't feel the same thing they do other or at least if they don't interpret it as you feeling the same thing that they do yeah or i mean sometimes it's they don't interpret it that way and sometimes it's they know that that's not a thing your brain does and so they love they in they it's almost like people look for reasons to see you as cruel or monstrous yeah and and i and i i this that's one of those things where i didn't even i didn't even get to the part of the text where they explicitly said this that's very much a thing that gets used to hurt people in, in real life. And I did not make it <laughs> through. And I think this is one of that characterization is one of those reasons. And I why. think that the way these kids are they're they seem like they're sociopaths in the way that adult serial killers in movies are yeah. not in the I didn't know other people have internal lives narcissistic way that little kids are because not understanding that people have internal thing lives can be as benign as teachers don't live at school. Right. Or even, or, or even I had five cookies out of 12. That means that other people don't all get two. Like it, 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 it doesn't have to be intentional and it doesn't have to be cruel. It's just a lack of awareness in a way that is, it's, it's almost, it's almost, it's just, it's, it's a lack of awareness that most people grow out of. 
but that is common among children. And so one of the things in this book is that, to be clear, Manx is the villain, is distorting childhood and insisting that childhood is and ought to be this happiness and rejoicing and nothing being wrong and never being upset about anything. But the... And specifically rejoicing in cruelty. Yeah, so my... Yeah, so the thing that he wants them to rejoice in is uh, there's this game and I don't remember whether we ever exactly see it played, but all the little Christmas land kids keep asking people if they want to play scissors for the drifter, (laughs) which from what I could pick up is possibly cutting with scissors. Someone who is running away from them. Uh, it's not it's not a game. It's not fun. That's not that's not extreme tag. That's just like no. really really bad. And th- the way that it gets shown, I think is very it's very coherent. It's very complete. Yeah. And there's an internal consistency and logic to how the kids are displayed where we can't necessarily trust the narrators involved, not because they're trying, well, Manx, like everyone really believes what they're saying. Yeah. Like Manx appears to genuinely believe that children are better if they are unable to be unhappy. And realizing that you have hurt someone and feeling bad about it is one of those things that he doesn't think you should be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's also kind of a little bit of like, again, irregardless of author intent, because that's the intent is not what we <laughs> care about here it's the impact it, it reads as though manx pulling the empathy out of kids is replacing it with his own idea of what they should be oh yeah yeah like he and thinks- there's just like he thinks that children are all like this therefore when children come under his spell he turns them into this yeah and and if if that if it were really lack of empathy, yeah, it'd be careless and not malicious. And another thing is that the kids, they're uh, just uh, this the drive to inflict suffering. Like I don't want to harp on it too much. It's just it is it's ever present. Like the the end sequence where Vic is just trying to set these bombs and blow up Christmas land and rescue all of them. And the people she's trying to rescue are actively trying to kill her. And they're smiling the whole time. Yeah. It is, it is chilling. Um, I, like we said, I finished this book, but I had a two to three month break (laughs) in between reading 70% of the book and the last 30 that I read in, in one sitting because I had been reading this on my lunch break. Do not read this on your lunch break. Don't do that. Uh, And I was getting, I was nauseous reading it because I made the bad decision to read it on my lunch break. Don't make my mistake. (laughs) Uh, If you like horror, it's a really good, well-written, tight narrative, um, woven really well. The perspectives are handled really well, but it is rough. Yeah. And horror is not normally my genre. Uh... Moving on to Lou, we are going to do two different main characters this week. We're going to have one segment on Lou and one segment on Vic. And for Lou, he has 
self-protection and self-sacrifice. And it's the self-sacrifice angle that makes it more the trauma enters the story as the guy on the bike who rescues Vic the first time she is almost killed by Manx. To the point that protecting Vic and then their son Wayne is his identity. And there's a middle bit where he has to choose between staying with Vic and protecting Wayne from Vic. And not that Vic is trying to hurt Wayne, she just burned down their house because the Christmas land kids wouldn't keep calling her on phones that no one else could hear ringing. And so Lou thought she was going crazy. And, you know, she did burn down the house. I'm not upset at him for for getting Wayne away from her for a bit. <laughs> for <laughs> reacting to that. The, the big the big reason that I picked Lou for this topic is in the latter half of the book, he has multiple cardiac events and just kind of keeps being in and out of the hospital, not telling Vic about it because she is busy trying to get their kid back from Manx. And hey, he sees his purpose and role is to love her and help her and protect her and not in like a protect her by keeping her from doing dangerous stuff but like being like a is it is it like a it's more like you know she's a like ship a and he's can... a lighthouse like he's there and he's like you know I'm I'm here when you get back what do you need while you're out it's very supportive and it is one of the like shining lights of a nice thing throughout this very, very dark book, which makes it all the more distressing when he keeps being hurt by it. I was gonna say, is it is it actually positive or is it like I think it self-sacrificial to the point of being no longer positive anymore. <sighs> this is one of those where because of Manx, the world they're in is so messed up that if he if he had told her that he was having these heart attacks, or not technically heart attacks, but to the layperson, it makes very little difference. Mm -hmm. I think if he had told her, he was choosing to not increase her stress level for a thing where her being freaked out about it wouldn't make him not have them mm. that's and i i don't know i don't want to say don't tell your partner about your heart <laughs> attacks because they've got a stressful work day like no yeah like no like that's that's, see, that's the part that doesn't sound super i, I healthy to me yeah i don't want to i want to say but there's also the whole like if your partner is not handling things adding more stress in the moment, especially if something they have no control over. I don't know. And it seems like it's one of those where if everybody lived through it, he would have told her about it. But like, we don't get that because she doesn't live through it. So, hmm. okay. Like, we don't have time. We don't have time to catch up and see what he would have done later. If he had just never, ever, ever told her about them, I'd be like, ah, that's a little weird and bad. <laughs> it's okay. more like he doesn't get the chance to. Like, there's a bit where he sees, where she sees that he has a hospital bracelet on, and she kind of looks at him questioningly and he shakes his head, like, not now. 
it doesn't matter right now. And there's no verbal communication at that moment. But she accepts him indicating not now. That isn't important. So whether she should, I don't know. Derailing the plot, especially when canonically they were caused by all this stress him then having to deal with her with her freaking out that he might die might have made it worse and again i don't know if all that was in his head um gotcha but that's why i list this as a trauma but also as them having the most positive relationship they could later in the book like the, the middle is rough but gotcha. towards the end they're working together as a team and he didn't put that on her in the moment and i don't i don't know if i don't know if it was the right thing um hmm. she was also getting hurt too and you know not calling him to be like hey i busted up my leg like she's shrugging off injuries just like he is this whole thing is very stressful i just hmm. it's from his perspective, his partner has a mental illness and he's trying to help her and not make it worse. And given that framing, if it was all in her head during the portion of the book where he thinks it's all in her head, I really don't want to fault him for the moves he's making. He doesn't like try to wreck her life more by making her do something. And it, I don't know, because it's a, because it has fantastical elements and she was really right about everything. Yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard to judge what he ought to have done. So not trying to ramble about that. I just... Yeah, it makes sense. It's hard. It's... <laughs> it is harder when I'm the only Ren who read that part of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this episode overall might be a little shorter. We'll see. we have Vic and we are classifying this as not being believed about her own trauma. For the record, the trauma includes but is not limited to attempted rape, kidnapping, kidnapping of her child, physical assault. It's rough. I this book was some kind of triggering for for Nicole and probably is going to be triggering for some portion of our listeners. Please take care of yourselves. It's rough. If you're trying to read it and you have to stop, there's nothing to power through. It's just <laughs> it going just to get not worse. Get <laughs> yeah. There's no one bad chapter. There's slowly building, well done, tension, escalation of violence, escalation of trauma, people that aren't Vic actually do get murdered. And then even at the end, um, it's not all happy and smiles. No. Uh, well, actually, they're trying to fix the fact that someone is happy and smiling when they ought not to be, which makes it technically a happy and smiles ending, but that's bad. So, uh, so on to Vic specifically. Um, Bing tries to rape and murder her. Not totally sure what order he intended. Um, because he is very, very twisted. He is Manx's minion. Um, so, one thing that I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. 
is for the portion you did read for the por- well yeah for the portion i did read is i didn't know this while i was reading it but kind of got filled in later we have three characters who have the same ability yeah and i just the the difference in how they handle it and how they are handled is interesting mm-hmm. do we know what vic's do we ever find out what Vic's um, yeah, interface so is? We do. So, so Manx, it's his car and it mm-hmm. steals his empathy. Mm-hmm. For Maggie, it is her Scrabble tiles that let her do kind of divination, um, both kind of past, present, future stuff. Right. A lot of future. And it takes away her ability to speak clearly. It gives her a very severe stutter that gets worse throughout the book to the point that at the end the tiles themselves are stuttering and she oh yeah self-harm she is harming herself in order to in order to focus she's trying to use the pain in order to focus and in this fictional case it it does work Mm -hmm. um do not recommend and then Vic um Vic, because she is imagining, it's for, it's when she talks to Maggie towards the end of the book, it gets explained at least what Maggie thinks is going on, because neither of them is omnipotent. Mm-hmm. Be, it, there's, it's got some like left brain, right brain stuff, and it's like, oh, imagination is on this half of your brain, and so the eye that that half of your brain sees out of. <laughs> is being hurt that's what it is so she is slowly going blind in that eye um there's a bit early in the book where she's temporarily blind i remember that part yeah and that's the explanation it's that she is seeing something that isn't really there yeah and that forcing that vision forcing itself through her eye is what is hurting her and that's what she'll eventually lose Again, do we know she what she doesn't live long enough to actually lose it okay well Vic's vehicle is first this uh this tricycle or this bicycle and then later she finds a motorcycle called a triumph a physical thing an actual physical yes. vehicle yeah so here's this is interesting um Vic and does Manx know that Vic has his power for less? Yes. Okay. He's got a we're the same join me thing for a very short time before it doesn't work. Mm, okay. And he also targets Maggie because he knows about her Scrabble tiles. Yeah. So I think I I, I know that this segment is supposed to be about Vic, and I will get there. <laughs> but also, mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out a couple things. So I'm noticing Manx, and and again, I don't, I'm not trying to put author intent in here because we don't know the author's intent. Um, and that's not relevant to our experience of the book anyway. But it, but speaking of toxic masculinity, <laughs> mm-hmm. it does. I I am noticing that. So we have two feminine coded characters and one masculine character that have this power mm-hmm. 
the masculine character's power relies on taking something from other people, and both of the feminine character's powers rely on self-harm. Oh, that's interesting. So, in the book, it gets framed as the car runs on empathy and it doesn't care whose, and Manx was all used up by his early travels. Right. But, but Maggie has no I- has no ability to make someone around her stutter. Right. Vic she has can't... no ability to make someone else have their eye hurt. Right. That's a good point. Right. Like, they, they have physically no way of off-sourcing the pain. Yeah. But the male character does and does freely. Yeah. And I just, that's an an interesting uh, parallel there. And also, also, I should point out, because we didn't really have so we kind of kind of I asked Robin about this as we were kind of discussing the book ahead of time and we didn't really have anywhere else to put it but we think it's important Maggie seems to me to be an example of barrier gaze because even though she is pretty instrumental in the book and she's definitely not a sidelined character like she's super important mm-hmm. we have snapshots and pieces of her from childhood to adulthood essentially yeah but we only find out that she's queer right before she dies and And in this case probably lesbian but at the very least not hetero yeah at the very least she's not just a heterosexual woman and it i don't know it's it's we we use queer as a catch-all for not knowing well yeah exactly what type of not straight she is we have international listeners we understand that the word queer we understand is reclaimed that- in the u.s but not necessarily everywhere else um as a side piece um she's possibly she's probably a lesbian uh because and and then she dies she dies within a couple of chapters possibly the same chapter of us finding out that she's probably lesbian because she asks if vic will hold her while they sleep i i would even even argue well here's a question does she have any other scenes where she's on screen between finding out versus dying does she have any other any other things that she even does or is it does it only take a couple of chapters because she's just not in the story until she dies after that yeah it it cuts away to other things and then it cuts back to them and then she dies in terms of continuity she says can you sleep can you hold me while we sleep also there's like a weird um and this is again the characters obviously know fewer things than the author and don't necessarily reflect the author's opinions but she says something along the lines of i know you're straight because you have a kid yeah that's also not Um, super great (laughs) that's not super great it's not how that works um doesn't even i mean that she's with lou says more about she likes guys than that she has had a kid with someone yeah given that she's in a relationship with lou not just literally that she had a kid with him right um but yeah, so they they sleep, literally sleep, on the couch together, and then Maggie wakes up before Vic. Maggie gets killed by Manx, then Vic wakes up. Yeah, see, that, that looks to me like a, a 
super yeah. super literal brutal barrier case. Yep. Um and that trope is you can have a gay character but only if they die immediately. Well, not even necessarily um, immediately, but only if they die. And, and but she just she die. just happens yeah. to die literally immediately. Yeah. Um like if you if you have yeah. a mix of LGBTQ characters, and then some of them live, some of them die. It's not this trope. It, well, if, if you're, if you're, it's not necessarily this. It's trope. Not necessarily this trope. Yeah, it depends on the genre because if it's only some of them, but it's only gay only characters. Them. Yeah, then it's still. Yeah, this this has such a high body count. Yeah, that it's not that angle, but yeah. Uh, no, this is this is definitely. I'm only arguing that this is that trope because it's immediately after we find out that she's not yes. hetero. Like, that's why. Because it's it's direct. It's like one-to-one. <laughs> like, oh no, yeah. you've been open about this and seen for you. Yep. Now, back to Vic not being believed about trauma. This actually does relate because she doesn't... <laughs> We promise it belongs in this segment. She isn't able to explain how she was with Maggie when she died and the police think she killed Maggie. And then a, an hour or two later, she has crossed the bridge and she is several states away mm-hmm. and is being seen by the detective. And they're like, what the how did you get there how is this happening yeah like even when there's evidence in the book people don't believe because the evidence is like really weird and incomplete and and a little bit magical in nature yeah yeah like they don't know what genre they are in um manx one of the main ways where vic is not believed is that they don't believe vic that Manx hurt her and Manx kidnapped her son because he was in a coma because his car was wrecked and then he uh, he's declared dead but then someone physically restores the car and so he breaks out of the morgue and starts murdering people again but because there's a death certificate the police keep being like Here's his death certificate. Here's his death certificate. He died in the spring. Here's his death certificate. <laughs> Didn't you hurt your kid? Where's your kid? Did you kidnap him? Did you kill him? What yeah. did you do to your kid? Why did you kill your kid's dog? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the dog doesn't make it. Yes, the dog <laughs> dies. That's, yep. Um, and she's not just not believed about what's happened to her. She is so not believed that people then think that she is the perpetrator because they don't believe her about who actually did it. There's some story contrived coincidental things that make it easy for her, easier for them to not believe it. Mm-hmm. Like Manx, uh, actually Billy, Bing, Bing, I think shot at her, but she was in front of the lake. Bullets went into the lake. There, there's some circumstantial stuff that makes it easier for the cops to not believe her. But still, in terms of trauma, yeah. she spends the whole bu- f- book feeling gaslit by people who are not trying to do that, but don't have evidence and don't believe her 
And Lou's the only one who believes her without seeing it. Her, her dad may be a little at the very, very end, but he's there for like a chapter at the end after a multi-year absence. Oof. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, her... There's so much. I don't want to just describe the plot. It's... Yeah. It's just... This book is just... This book could be summarized as woman tries to uh, rescue her kid from a murderer that no one believes is alive. That's... That's the that's plot. The, that's the summary. <laughs> that's at least the summary of the latter two-thirds, because that doesn't quite capture the bit mm, where she's a kid. Yeah. But that is how to... That is the main storyline for most of it. Hi there, it's Mo. And Chip. And Mikey. And we're the hosts of the Deep Dark Truth Podcast. An allegedly hilarious podcast that dives into your favorite conspiracies, mysteries, and bizarre true crimes. It's like Reddit for your ears. Wait, what's Reddit? We investigate cases like proven conspiracies, rituals, and the cryptid dating scene. Because local cryptids want to meet you. Call me Bigfoot. Tip line 313-355-3411. Listeners can also submit their own stories and might find themselves featured on future episodes. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast you're listening to right now. And keep searching for the the deep, dark dark truth. truth. I hate when you do that. So, moving on to our wrap-up, um, starting with, starting with the Christmasland kids, um, gratuity rating, I, I'll be honest, I'm gonna have a hard time seeing any of these topics as less than severe, but. Oh, it's severe. Okay. It's explicit, it's woven through the entire thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's definitely severe. Also, for those who are only listening to the wrap-up, the reason Nicole isn't sure is because I finished I the book and they did not, the because this one is rough. Uh, this one has this one has some very specific things in it that just... It was too much. I, I walk away from these things in real life. Like, like, I will, if these things happen in real life, I cut the conversation and leave that person and no longer associate with them. And yeah. reading a whole book of it was too much. Um, yeah. Even though it was the villain's words. Yeah, it didn't matter because it, it was the villain's words backed up by behavior in the text. And I yep. I couldn't do it. Uh, okay, Lou and self-protection. Well, protection, uh, self-sacrifice. I'm going to say that's the self-sacrifice bit is severe. Okay. Um, is the protection less than... Well, the protection is the other side of the self-sacrifice. Okay. Um, the self-sacrifice is severe. The protection... I don't know if severe is the right word because of how it's done, but focusing on the self-sacrifice side, which is what I consider to be the traumatic bit. Okay, that's fair. Um, that The part that's severe. not traumatic is not severe. Right. Okay. Um, There's a lot of it. But. <laughs> but still, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not being believed about your own trauma for a bit. Um, 
This is one where it really probably depends on the wording, right? It is woven throughout the entire book and is constant and is on her from multiple characters, individually and systemically. I think it is severe in its depiction and how much that severity impacts the reader is going to be something where your mileage may vary. Okay. Why this trauma? So, uh, okay. The Christmas kids, I think they're integral to the plot. Yeah, because they're the hook. Yeah. Why things are happening. (laughs) Teeth. Um, Lose protection. Is this actually, is this integral or is this interchangeable even? Or irrelevant. Does it, does it, is even plot driven at all? Oh, no, no. So Lou is in the book because of this tendency in himself. And once he is in the book, he is very important. But it is at minimum interchangeable. And I think that it's interchangeable as to whether or not he is in the book. But once he is there, he is interchangeable then. Okay. Because if you can just cut him out and the book still functions. If you can cut him out and the book doesn't change, he's irrelevant. Well, they wouldn't have had Wayne. Well, that's not necessarily true. Okay. Like, he could have been a one-night stand or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For that matter, she could have adopted Wayne. Like... And I I know... I know you're... um, Given that you didn't read the part of the book that he's in, he doesn't feel important. No, I'm asking. I'm not, I I don't actually have an opinion on this. I'm asking. Because you said, the the reason I'm asking is because you started out with saying that whether or not he's in the book is interchangeable. That makes him irrelevant, almost by definition. Because if he can just be cut with no consequences. Give me a moment to think about what would change. Okay um plot wise not just like the one scene no, that wouldn't matter no, no. yeah so yeah. it is either vic would need to have escaped with an unrealistic lack of damage or there would need to be someone else to carry on do the final thing in the book who was driven to do it because of contact with wayne he has so he has the reason specific he, plot reasons to be there. He does have specific plot reasons. Okay. If if you were determined to take him out, you could manage it, but you'd have to get multiple people to fill different spots that he filled. Okay. So then so, he's not then he's not irrelevant for sure. No, definitely not irrelevant. And I I do think he is integral. Okay. I'd be willing to hear an argument that he's interchangeable. Okay, that makes sense. We'll go with integral yeah. then, because I'm not in a position to make that argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Vic and, and not being believed about her trauma. This is integral. I, I was going to say, I'm going to assume that this is integral also just because... Because either everyone knows what genre of book they're in and knows that what <laughs> Manx is doing is possible under normal rules, or <laughs> yeah. it is integral that she is not believed. Okay. So. All right. Treated with care. Christmasland Children's. I don't think it's treated with care because not only is this ideation, this is forcing every character possible that they come in contact with to sit through their ideation. Oof. They. they, they, Hey, question. They call This is slightly backtracking a little bit. Yeah. We haven't sure. had one of these yet, but 
is the Christmas land kids and their portrayal, is that torture porn? Um, is that more than severe? Mmm. A good point. Because this was it, this was bad enough that I oh, well, stopped I mean, reading because it felt like it was arguing for this to be true in a in a way that was almost positive. Like it, this is a healthy child. This is how all healthy children are. That almost yeah. seems that almost seems like it crosses the level in, into like the only thing that saves it from being the message of the book is that it's from the mouth of the villain, but But that villain ooh. is is dictating reality. That's true. You're right. This might be torture porn. I mean, it is a horror book, so if anything is going to have that and have it be not a bad thing in the book, it's gonna be a horror story. This might be torture porn. I'm gonna go ahead and categorize hey. it there. I'm 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 backtracking on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did it. We finally found one. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. Uh, All right. Um, okay, moving on. Still treated with care. Lou and protection and self-sacrifice. Um, it It's not egregious. I, I'm going to go with enough because it's not, it's not hitting you over the head with stuff, but it is just constant enough and him dismissing his own needs in the way that he does and with the consequences that it has is yeah i'm gonna say enough okay i don't want to say there was no care but if someone wanted to write in and be like hey i don't think this was treated with care i'd be like you know what (laughs) you might be right okay it's it's on that edge okay again it's a horror book it's not necessarily trying to be careful um Right, but still, for yeah. like within in context, comparison to it is how, enough. In comparison to how other things are handled, of the things, this is enough care, I think. Okay, uh, not Vic, being believed. This doesn't feel like it was treated with care. This is not. This is not treated with care. <laughs> if this were treated with care, people would be tiptoeing around it, and it would end up feeling just straight up gaslighty. Okay. Uh, uh, in order for it to not be gaslighting, yeah. It then had to not be treated with care, which is weird. Point of view. We... I guess here. It's Vic a lot, right? I know it's Vic for the children. Um, does it change? Yes, it does. Okay. It does change. We get we get Wayne's perspective. Um, that's actually part of how the horror builds, is that we have people in drastically different mental states from each other, and we get monologues and ideation from all of them. Um, mm. like we get Lou's perspective and his internal thoughts about why he is protecting Vic in a certain way. We get Maggie's thoughts. We get, uh, we even get, uh, okay, we don't so ever topic, get Vic's thoughts. Topic. Christmas yeah, land topic kids. Topic. Christmas kids. We get the perspective of Wayne as he is turning into a Christmas kid. Okay, and then I know we, we get we gets Vic's we get Vic's perspective, mm-hmm. and we get Lou's, so we get it for all of them. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Uh, aftermath. Uh, aftermath. Is this yes, just we, for Christmas kids. We we it's still Wayne. It's we still don't Wayne. get the perspective okay. of random other ones. Okay. Um. Uh, protection. So you said this was Lou. Yes, and we don't wrap back around to his perspective in the aftermath because the aftermath is wayne's perspective okay and then interesting. we do not get vic's perspective okay. in 
the aftermath. Vic and not being believed. We do not get her perspective after the main events are over. We do get her perspective after individual instances happen. So who do we get for the aftermath then? The very last several chapters of the book are all Wayne. Oh, oh, okay. Which is why we get him, we get aftermath from the person affected for Christmas kids, but not for the other things, because it's all him. Gotcha. All right. So, aspiring writer tip. <laughs> um, this is, granted, I don't read very many horror books. Um, I think this is really well done. Um, it certainly invoked the emotions that horror movies invoke in me when they're done well. Uh, and, uh, Okay, so what, what tip would you give writers? What tip writers? comes out of that? Yeah. Um, I, I think that definitely sh- not being afraid to have narration from characters with competing narratives about what's happening, especially if you're trying to build horror. Um, we had a much milder version of this in Coraline. Yeah, and we've got we've got another book coming up at some point that's going to have this again. Yeah, um, but yeah, not not being afraid to have the different perspectives and narration from people who do not agree. It is okay to have competing narrators and have each of them be differently unreliable, mm-hmm. and especially if you're trying to create uncertainty and tension in the reader, then if that's what you're going for then it's a very effective way to do it. Yeah, that's that's a fun... It's always a fun thing to read, especially when you can tell that it's intentional and it's not just that the author just didn't do something or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? Were there any non-traumatic things? <sighs> um, uh, I liked the description of the search engine books. I know... Nicole, you didn't get to that point, but I did enjoy those. They were surrounded by a lot of dark things, but the actual descriptions of the books and that Vic found something to work on and be creative, I really liked that. Did you have anything from part of it you got to? I did, actually. It's Okay. So, it's... It's very difficult to kind of separate this from the conditions that were kind of traumatic that we didn't even talk about in the beginning, but... I really like how much joy Vic gets initially out of her just freedom and just leaving and being off by herself. Um, yeah. She, it, she, she feels, so the setup is very much that she is running away from whatever negative thing is at home and like, she's just going off by herself to get away. But we, we know that that's what she's doing because the text tells it to us. But then once she, once she goes off and is just riding by herself, she's just happy. And it's, it's really cool. And it's, it's really interesting to actually see in a horror book, especially in a horror book where her writing off by herself does not become the horror. Right. And I think that was, I thought that was nice. I thought that was cool. It's also a really good way to start the book. That was really Mm -hmm. cool. So yeah. All right. That's it. Thank you for joining us for Nosferatu. A 
music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash booksthatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout-out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.